Hello, and welcome to the Asta La Visa Baby Podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and he won't go anywhere unless rose petals are sprinkled on the ground before him. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Hey, Shy, how's it going? Rod, there are certain moments in life that are really monumental, such as one's bar mitzvah, graduating from school, a first sure. job, marriage, yeah. the birth of children, the adoption of one's cat. And yeah. to, I think today's moment is going to be added to the list of these monumental occasions. Up there in the Pantheon with everything else. Today, everybody, we are going to be recording maybe the movie, uh, an episode about perhaps the movie that was the inspiration for us mm-hmm. to do this podcast. Yeah, that just a bit of a quick window into our lives. Shai and I, as we've talked about before, th- this podcast came up because these are the types of conversations that Shai and I would have at work. We were just sort of goofing around the office talking about silly movies. And this was one of the the movies that while we were talking about it or, you know, we talked about probably multiple times. And this movie definitely was part of the inspiration for what put this podcast together. So this is, yeah. you know, it's a big and episode for us because we've been holding off. on this Yes, episode. we have been holding off on doing this episode because we wanted to make sure that we were podcasting experts. I don't know if we're experts yet, but I think we're pretty good. You know, we're approximate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've heard some podcasts out there, and I think we are on par with a lot of them. <laughs> I think so. So yeah, we wanted to wait till we we knew what we were doing. We had to, we wanted to get a couple episodes under our belt because we felt that this movie, given the immigration content, given the the film itself, you know, the austere positions of the individuals involved in this movie in America's comedy canon, that we wanted to make sure yeah. that we were giving it its due. It's not even, we also have something uh, special. We have a special guest coming on later to talk about some intellectual property and trademark considerations Mm -hmm. in this movie. So it's it's more than just immigration. This movie is chock full of the law. Everything. So let's get right to it. Okay, everybody. Uh, First of all, if you have not done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and please give us that rating. Roderick who is having a little bit of technical difficulty today with his microphone, but I hope he sounds okay. He's going to let us know where you can find us. Yes, you can find us at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, TuneIn, and etc. Great. Thank you, Rod. And we would love to hear from you. We have an email address, and it's better that you email us than you just see us in the halls in the office and, and criticize us. So please email us. And um, Rod, can you tell us where, where you can email us? Yeah, so that email address is astalaviza, H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A, at gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y, dot com. Well, thank you for that. And uh, just to go over the ground rules once again, as we always do, every episode, we focus on a particular movie or a particular television show that features a foreign national character living in the U.S., We're going to do a deep dive into the movie or television show, focusing on the specific foreign national character. 
we're going to use our immigration detective skills to figure out what the character's U.S. visa status may have been, what problems or issues the character may have faced living in the U.S., and we're going to talk about a hypothetical consultation with the character. Finally, we're going to imagine that all the characters are living in a 2022 U.S. immigration world. Those are the rules. Thank you, everybody, for bearing with us. And now it's time to talk about our movie of focus today. It is none other than Coming to America. So, Roderick, why don't you let everybody know what Coming to America is all about? Sure. So Coming to America is a 1988 comedy starring Eddie Murphy, who plays Prince Akeem, the heir to the throne of the fictional and very wealthy country of Zamunda in Africa. On his 21st birthday, his father, King Jaffe Jaffer, who's played by James Earl Jones, introduces Akeem to his future bride as part of an arranged marriage. Akeem tells his father that he wants to see the world and find his own wife. King then tells, tells Akeem that he'll give him 40 days to, quote-unquote, sow his royal oats in America before he comes back and goes forward with the marriage. Akeem and his servant, Semi, who's played by Arsenio Hall, decide to go to Queens, New York, so that Akeem can find his queen. Where shall we go? Los Angeles or New York? We will let fate decide. Here's New York, tails Los Angeles. We go to New York. But where in New York can one find a woman with grace, elegance, taste, and culture? A woman suitable for a king. Queens. When Akeem and Semi arrive in New York, they have a cab driver take them to a humble and low-income area in Queens because Akeem wants to live like a commoner and not have anybody know that he's royalty and actually extremely wealthy. No, I want Queens. And we're not rich. We're ordinary African students. Whatever you say, pal. What part of Queens you want? Take us to the most common part. That's easy. There's one thing Queens has got a lot of. It's common parts. Akeem and Semi rent an apartment in a rundown tenement building and end up taking jobs as cleaning men at a fast food restaurant known as McDowell's, which is a blatant ripoff of McDonald's. The restaurant is owned by a man named Cleo McDowell. Akeem takes a liking to Cleo's daughter, Lisa, who works at McDowell's in sort of on the business side of stuff. She doesn't work on the restaurant and doing the food. She has some sort of job handling the business, uh, helping her father out. Uh, the only problem is that she's already in a relationship with a man named Daryl, who's a pretentious product of nepotism. As the movie progresses, Lisa decides to move on from Daryl and starts spending a lot of time with the charming but humble Akeem, who tells Lisa that he's a student from Zamunda, who comes from a family of sheep herders. Can't remember, is it sheep herders or goat herders? My note says sheep, but it might be goat. It might be goat. It might be goat. It might be goat. I think it's goat. At any rate, family of goat herders. Lisa's father, Cleo, disapproves because he wants Lisa to be with a wealthy man. Meanwhile, Semi becomes disgusted with living in such meager conditions and sends a telegram to the king asking for a million dollars because he and Akeem are in dire straits. Read it to me. To his majesty, King Joffrey Jaffer, the royal palace, Zamunda. Sire, Akeem and I have depleted our funds. Kindly send 300,000 American dollars immediately as we are in dire straits. Your humble servant, Semi. Semi. 
Semi. Should I make it 400,000? You think that'd be enough? You are right. 500,000. As long as you ask him, why don't we go for a cool million? You do not think that would be too much? The king comes to New York with his large entourage. They check into the Waldorf Astoria in Manhattan, and they begin a search for Akeem. When the king shows up at McDowell's, Cleo is enthralled to find out that Lisa is actually dating an extremely wealthy prince. This is King Joffe Joffe, ruler of Zamunda. He is searching for his son, Akeem. Your son? Yes, my son, the prince. A prince? Are, are you serious? Prince Akeem is the sole heir to the throne of Zamunda. I always knew there was something special about that boy. Can you tell us where he might be? Oh, yes, he's out with my lovely daughter, Lisa. Later at home, Cleo tells Lisa that Akeem is a prince, which devastates Lisa. Matters are made even worse when the king tells Lisa that Akeem already has a bride-to-be in Zamunda, and he could never have been serious about her. Akeem then tries to explain the situation to Lisa, but Lisa tells Akeem that their relationship cannot work. A heartbroken Akeem returns to Zamunda with his father, the king. Back in Zamunda, Akeem is in the middle of his wedding ceremony, expecting to be married to his arranged bride. When Akeem lifts the veil off the bride, he sees that it's Lisa. Akeem and Lisa are married and ride off in a carriage with thousands of Zamundans cheering. What a movie, Rod. You and I, we have, since we've known each other, this has always been a movie that we've talked about. We're always quoting this movie. There's just so, so much entertaining comedy that comes out of this movie. What's one of the reasons why you love this movie so much? There's so many good reasons. I did not grow up in or near New York. I grew up in New England. So there was something, even at a young age when I first saw this movie, there was something so very New York about it. You know, there's something very, a lot yeah. of attitude in this in this movie that is, everyone knows when you see this movie, there's a lot of New York attitude to it. Yeah. So I was always drawn to that. I mean, I ended up moving here for a reason. And I mean, the comedy is fantastic. The range of the characters is great. And I almost feel like, maybe less so now, but for, for the bulk of my life when I watched it, I always felt like I got something new out of it. There was some new joke or some new character that I either I hadn't picked up on before, that I didn't get before, or that I just didn't appreciate in the same way. So the movie has lots of great sort of rewatchable value to me. How about you? Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. So for me, I am originally from Queens. So any movie that's about Queens, New York is going to strike a chord with me. So I always love that aspect of it. But besides being originally from Queens, the different characters that Eddie Murphy and um, Arsenio Hall are playing in the movie. And like you said, every time you watch the movie, you can pick up something new. There's so many different levels of each joke. And uh, I just think it's, it's a, a great story. I think it's amazing as I've grown older to appreciate how this is a movie made in the 80s about a minority and all the characters are a minority. And it means, and it's just like great to watch it. Like you could be any background, any race, it doesn't matter who you are. You can find something in common with these people and you can just love the, the movie for what it is and the characters for who they are. I think it's a really eye-opening movie for that reason. Yeah, I think it's definitely fantastic for that reason too. And And picking up on your comment about Queens, definitely, I just, I feel like, you know, I love a good New York movie, yeah, and I love that this movie is not about it. It's not about the the typical quote unquote New York, you know. Right, what I mean? it's not, right. It doesn't take place in Manhattan. It's not all the typical things that you think of when you think of a New York movie. It's it's definitely, and that's kind of what I was thinking about when I got that that kind of New York attitude. That yeah, it's very. It's you know, in, after living here for so many years, I can pick up on a lot that's in this movie that I wouldn't have picked up on otherwise. 
totally know, so, so really i can't say enough good things about this movie of course of it. course yeah we're we're on the same page and i did some research as i always do to find some you know interesting facts about about the movie to to I'm enlighten everybody to okay so looking forward to it the working title of the movie was not coming to america it was the quest which sounds more like a 1980s computer game than a, a yeah, the, amazing movie game. or like a or like or like a fantasy film or science fiction right? movie it's it, 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 it works. Coming to coming to America is such a better title for this story. Yeah, for sure. The film was a moneymaker. It grossed 128 million dollars in the U.S. box office and 161 million dollars worldwide. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Listen to this one, Paula Abdul. You might know her, uh, a recording artist of, of sure. 80s and 90s fame. She choreographed the elaborate African dance scene that takes place at the palace in Zamunda when Akeem was presented with his bride to be. Quite the dance scene. Quite the dance scene. Nice work, Paula. Nice work, Paula. Nice work, Paula. This is one of my favorite parts about the movie. And this was the first time in which Eddie Murphy played multiple characters in one film. This is something that he's come to do very often. So mm-hmm. in this movie, Eddie Murphy not only played Akeem, but he also played Randy Watson, a soul singer. He played Clarence, the owner of uh, the barbershop where they go to a few times. And he played my favorite character of all, Saul, the old Jewish barbershop customer. A man goes into a restaurant. He sits down. He's having a bowl of soup. He says to the waiter, waiter, come, taste the soup. Waiter says, is there something wrong with the soup? He says, taste the soup. He says, is there something wrong with the soup? Is the soup too hot? He says, will you taste the soup? It's wrong. Is the soup too cold? Will you just taste the soup? All right, I'll taste the soup. Where's the spoon? Aha. <laughs> Aha. Rod, how is it possible that Eddie Murphy pulled off that character? I don't understand it. It's, yeah, sheer talent, man. Unbelievable. Impressive. McDowell's, the fast food restaurant where Akeem and Semi worked, was actually filmed inside of a Wendy's in Queens, New York. Look at that. Interesting. Yeah. I imagine maybe they had a little trouble getting, I mean, they would have had to get, I think, permission from McDonald's. We'll learn about that more later, but interesting that they chose a Wendy's to shoot in and not an actual McDonald's. Incredible. The rundown apartment where Akeem and Semi lived in was actually shot in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Another wow. place I another place I used to live. Look at that. Another place you used to live. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Apparently, many of the locations purporting to be Queens were actually shot in Brooklyn. Huh. Coming to America, nominated for two Academy Awards, one for best costume design, one for best makeup. I feel like we should go back in time and give this movie best uh, picture. That's that's <laughs> coming to america reunited eddie murphy with director john landis as you Mm -hmm. will recall john landis worked with eddie murphy on a movie called trading places yep i heard through the grapevine that we might be doing an episode in 2023 about trading places that's the word on the street (laughs) stay tuned for that stay tuned and and early reviews of coming to america were get this negative roger ebert was critical of what he called an unoriginal script. That's odd to me. I'd, I'd have to read that review. It doesn't make I, sense to me. I'm curious what his, it was, what his issue was. I don't know, because this is a very original script as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I it's agree. about, it's like about it a prince finding his princess, but there's so much more to it than that. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Roger, Roger, come on. Okay, Rod. So let's talk a little bit now about who our character of focus is going to be about. So 
we have so many different foreign national characters who showed up in this in in the U.S. in this movie. We have Semi, we have King Jaffe Jofer, we have the Queen, we have the King's entire entourage. We could do five episodes about this movie, which we would love to do actually. But but for the first episode, we're going to be focusing on the character of Prince Akim, played by Eddie Murphy. So. Rod, why don't you tell us everything we need to know about Prince Akim? All right. Well, Prince Akim Jafar was the heir to the throne of Zamunda. He lived a very privileged life in the palace and uh, had servants who woke him up in the morning, brushed his teeth, bathed him, helped him go to the bathroom, and dress him. There's very little that he's allowed to do on his own, and his lack of independence becomes a source of major frustration for him. Father, it is not just that it's everything the cooking, the pampering, the, the dressing, the bathing. Actually, I rather enjoy the bathing, but just for once, I would like to cook for myself and take care of myself, dress myself, wipe my own backside. So when his father, the king, tries to marry him to an arranged bride, Akim tells him that he wants to marry an independent woman who likes him for who he is as a person, rather than just liking him for being a prince. I understand, father. But when I marry, I want the woman to love me for who I am. Not because of what I am. And who are you? I am a man who has never tied his own shoes before. Wrong. You are a prince who has never tied his shoes. Believe me, I tied my own shoes once. It is an overrated experience. Then when Akeem gets to New York, he shows great enthusiasm to live as what he considers a commoner's lifestyle. Living in a poor neighborhood, ridding himself of all his luxurious possessions, working at a low-paying cleanup duty job, they were all very exciting to him. He had a way of finding joy, fulfillment, and pride in everything, whether it was mopping the floor at McDowell's, talking to local barbers, or introducing himself to Lisa for the first time. It's nice to meet you, Akeem. I have recently been placed in charge of garbage. Do you have any that requires disposal? No, it's... Totally empty. Well, when it fills up, don't be afraid to call me. I'll come take it out most urgently. That's good to know. When you think of garbage, think of Akeem. <laughs> Akeem is very charming and wise. He's always got good advice for others and was especially kind to Lisa. More than anything, he wanted Lisa to fall in love with him for who he was on the inside. Once Lisa finds out that he's a prince, uh, Akeem even told Lisa that he would renounce his throne to be with her. It just wouldn't work out. We're too different. You're royalty, for God's sake. You want me to renounce my throne? I will. From this moment on, I renounce my throne. I am no longer the Prince of Zimunda. I renounce my throne! As heartbroken as Akeem was when he had to leave Lisa behind in New York, he was even more ecstatic when Lisa was revealed to be his bride back in Zimunda. I'm a big fan of Prince Akeem. He just had so many great quotes. I think you and I were talking about how he could be just so wide-eyed and funny at times, and then he could be mm-hmm. so serious and wise at other times. He was just everything. He could do anything at any moment. I love this guy. He's so upbeat. He's so he's always got that big smile on his face, and he's just you know he's he's. It's almost like he's he plays you know Akeem himself is more than one character throughout the course of the movie. There's how, like like you were saying, there's like serious Akeem, yeah, goofy Akeem. It's just, you know, he's, he, and he's, I don't think he does anything negative to anybody throughout the entire course of the movie. Like, he only makes people's lives better, and that's it. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. How, how could you not root for him? You, you gotta I, root for I, him. I always, I have rooted for him almost my entire life since he <laughs> came out. <laughs> and now, the famous immigration discussion about Akeem. 
So mm-hmm. it, whenever we watch a movie that has a foreign national character, the first thing we think about is what what could that person's visa status, what could it have been? And we hope that all listeners who watch movies now, they have the same mentality that I do and Rod does. When you watch a movie with a foreign national, you want to try to figure out what kind of visa status that person could have had. So Prince Akeem, he planned on living in the U.S. for 40 days, right? In order to do that, he would have needed some type of U.S. visa status. But the movie, it doesn't tell us what kind of visa he had. So Rod, you and I are left to do the work. What kind of visa options do you think would have been available to the crown prince of Zamunda? Well, whenever we talk about somebody who's, who's in a, who has, holds a high government position, the first visas we think about are visas for diplomats, foreign government officials. These are known as the A1 and A2 visas. So there's an A1 visa? I, I thought that was a steak sauce, but I guess it's more than that. Did you like that joke? Yeah. That's pretty good. I <laughs> yeah, like it. I was thinking about that one. Anyway, can you tell us a little bit more about the A visa category? Sure. So the A visa category is for diplomats and other foreign government officials who are traveling to the United States to engage solely in official duties or activities on behalf of their national government. The specific duties or services that are performed in the U.S. must be governmental in character or nature. Okay, so that's the A visa category, but then we have the A1 visa and we have the A2 visa. So what's the difference between A1 and A2? Sure. Examples of those who would qualify for the A1 would be uh, the head of a government or officials coming to serve as an ambassador or a consular official in the United States. Those who would be for the A2 would be more like full-time employees coming to the U.S. to work at an embassy or consulate. So it's sort of the difference between the ambassador and the staff at the embassy. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, I got it. And what if you are a government official or a diplomat? That's your job. But you just want to travel to the U.S. in a non-governmental or non-diplomatic capacity. What's the story about doing that? Can you use this A visa? So a head of state, which would be prime minister, certain royalty, perhaps a president, an example, regardless of the capacity in which they're traveling to the United States, would always qualify for an A-1 visa. However, all governmental officials traveling to the U.S. on, in a non-governmental capacity or traveling as tourists would not qualify for A-visas and would need a different and more appropriate visa classification. So the fact that you're a government official or a diplomat is not in and of itself the defining factor in determining whether or not you qualify for an aid. That's interesting. So like the prime minister of the United Kingdom, regardless of what that person is coming to the United States for, will always qualify for an A1 visa just because they're the head of government. Yep. Even if their plan is just to come here and go and go to a spa for a week, the A1 visa would still be considered a, uh, a legitimate classification. What a deal heads of government yeah. have. Okay. So we know a little bit about the A visa. And now we're going to apply the A visa to Prince Akeem. So Akeem travels to the U.S. He doesn't tell anybody that he's a prince. He doesn't carry himself in any government official capacity at all. Knowing this, could Akeem have had an A visa? So if if Akeem was the head of state, like we were talking, if he was the head of state of Zamunda, he could have traveled on the A-1 visa because, as we said, heads of state do not have to be performing official governmental duties to qualify for an A-1. But being the heir and not the king, he's not the head of state, right? And further, so, you know, so therefore he would have to qualify. And his activities in the U.S. are not really governmental. 
uh, you know, he's coming to find love, really. So right. under the letter of the law, he could not really have qualified probably for, for an A visa for this. I agree with you. He didn't have any governmental duties. He wasn't coming yeah. on behalf of the government of Zamunda. He wasn't coming uh, under any a permittable A visa category activities. So we have yeah. to rule out the A visa. One could argue, if you really wanted to stretch it, that his having a spouse is essential to his heirship of the throne, for example, right? Yeah. And that could be, you know, you could maybe torture it and call it a governmental uh, function. But, I, you know, I, I don't I think, think it would qualify. I, I think we'd have to check the case law to see if anybody has ever tried that before. I think, we're, yeah, that would be, I mean, that would be an intense research project. Yeah. I think it's very, I think it's a hard sell. You'd give that research project to a paralegal, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't have time for that. So, no. so, okay. So the A visa category by the letter of the law wouldn't work for Akim, but um, can you think of any other visa categories that he might've qualified for? Well, so in the movie, he's, he, his cover, if you will, uh, he tells everybody that he's a student. Now, students qualify for the F1 student visa classification, but as we know from watching the movie, Akeem actually did not attend any school. So he, he wouldn't have qualified for an F1 student visa. So we've got diplomatic visas out the window. Student visas, they're completely out. Uh, is there anything left for somebody who's coming to the U.S. for 40 days just to sow his royal oats, meet his wife, and enjoy a commoner's lifestyle in Queens, New York? Any other visa types? So the only category that's left, really, that would that would provide him legal status in the United States for those activities would uh, would be the B two tourist visa. Basically, yeah, all that's left to him. I th I think so. So the B two tourist visa is is just what it sounds like. It's a visa specifically designed for those who are coming to the United States to be tourists, do some sightseeing, enjoy American culture. Anything else you can think of that a tourist might want to do, Rod? Get your hair cut. Yes, yes. Go to an awareness rally. Awareness uh, rally, correct. Uh, buy clothing. Buy clothing, sure. But right, you know uh, that kind <laughs> yes. of thing. Yeah. What about um, what about working, which is what we so, see Akeem doing in the movie? So the main problem with the B uh, for him would be that individuals in B two status tourists are not authorized for employment while in the United States. Oh, so we might have to talk about this a little bit later in the podcast because Sakim and Semi were both working at McDowell's. The bottom line is that when you're a tourist, you can do touristic activities, but there's no uh, employment in the United States as permitted. Correct. Everything that he did in the movie was perfectly fine under B2, except for his employment with, with McDowell's. We can get into that. Yes, yes, yes. So conclusion, everybody, Prince Akeem of Zamunda. He had a B-2 tourist visa. So we just skirted around the issue of Akeem and McDowell's. And um, McDowell's was the fast food restaurant in the movie that was a blatant ripoff of McDonald's. You might have heard yep. of it. Sure. I've heard through the grapevine that you can't just open a business and copy somebody else's business model, their logo, their complete persona, right? So right. We're going to have to bring in a special guest who's going to school us all on uh, this area of law. All right. Joining us now is our very special guest. She is a partner at Gibney and specializes in brand protection and enforcement, making her podcasting debut. It's Maya Shumarska. 
Maya, thank you for hey, joining Maya. us. Hey, Shai. Hey, Ron. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. How excited are you to be making uh, your, your first appearance on the Asta La Visa Baby podcast? I'm so pumped right now. You have no idea. Oh, that's what, that's what we like to hear. So coming to America, I, I assume like Rod and I, it's, it's one of your favorite comedies ever, right? Of course, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what could be better? What could be better in a movie? I mean, ugh, yeah, it's one of the classics for sure. Well, Maya, so what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring you on our podcast to talk to you about some legal issues that fall outside of our scope. Obviously, there's more than just immigration law that's going on in this movie. There seem to be some issues with the fast food restaurant known as McDowell's in the movie copying a pretty well-known fast food restaurant. Maybe you've heard of it. McDonald's. Yes, yes, I have. Uh, I think that's definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. I'm an IP nerd, so the fact that they did this is just a real treat for me. So let me set the stage for you and all the listeners. I'm going to play a clip from the movie so we can all get an idea of exactly uh, what we're talking about here. So everybody, uh, listen up. Look, being a McDonald's people, we got this little misunderstanding. Hmm? See, they're McDonald's. I'm McDowell's. They got the golden arches. Mine is the golden arcs. (laughs) Now see, they got the Big Mac. I got the Big Mick. We both got two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions. But they use a sesame seed bun. My buns have no seeds. (laughs) All right, Maya. So... It appears that uh, Mr. Cleo McDowell has completely copied the McDonald's business model in order to create his fast food uh, restaurant. Why don't we just leave it to you? Tell us uh, what your thoughts are about this from, you know, an IP perspective, a trademark perspective. I mean, it would be a huge problem for him. I think, you know, McDonald's really goes out of its way to protect its trademarks. They're the most famous trademarks in the entire world. Obviously, everybody knows McDonald's. They know the Golden Arch. They know the Big Mac. They have registrations for, I don't know, probably 100 marks, and they enforce them all around the world. So, I mean, they go as far as protecting their brand from anyone using Mick. So not even the McDonald's, but Mick, they sued a company called McBagels. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, and you don't achieve that kind of fame without doing that kind of enforcement. Um, And obviously they spend millions of dollars in advertising, probably billions, right? And they've been around for decades. So you, you know, that's definitely one brand you don't want to mess with is McDonald's. So in the movie, it does look like Cleo McDowell, the owner of McDowell's, is having some litigation issues with McDonald's. He, <laughs> he tells a photographer who he thinks is taking pictures on behalf of McDonald's to, to get away. So in real life, what could McDonald's do to stop Cleo from basically just ripping off its brand? Well, I feel like the movie's accurate in that, you know, in in real life, you know, brands do those kind of investigations all the time. If you hear someone's using your trademark, you'll send an investigator over and they'll take a picture and then you'll send them a letter and then you'll say, hey, stop using my trademark or I'm going to sue you. 
So in this case, you know, they would probably sue Mr. McDowell and McDowell's and they, they would sue him for trademark infringement, unfair competition, dilution, which is only available to the most famous trademarks. And if you'll notice, even the restaurant in the movie, the way that it's designed, it's probably protected by trade dress because when you're looking at it, never mind the Golden Arch or even McDonald's or McDowell's. You can see the way that the roof is styled and the windows, you know, that's the way that McDonald's restaurants look. So, you know, McDonald's has a really strong claim against him and this restaurant. So I think that they would be successful. They would probably, you know, I would guess even go to get a preliminary injunction against him just to get him to stop using it right off the bat because their likelihood of success is very high. Interesting. And let's, let's say that um, McDonald's, you know, sued McDowell's while the lawsuit was uh, going on. Would McDowell's be allowed to continue to operate or would there be some sort of uh, injunction against them from operating to begin with? Yeah, so like I said, I think they would probably try to get a preliminary injunction against them. And that injunction would stay, say that he would have to t- remove all that. Definitely all the trademark use would probably have to stop running his business altogether. I mean, especially since, like I said, he designed the building to look like a McDonald's. He's using the Golden Arch on, on his cups and on his bags and on everything else. So my guess is that they would file a motion for a preliminary injunction, get him to stop his operations altogether. So you don't think that that he specifies he's got the arcs, not the arches, and he's got no seeds on his right. big mick. That's not enough to save him? If I had a nickel every time I heard that from a defendant, I'd be a very wealthy woman. I mean, um, I've heard it all at this point. And I've heard a guy like McDowell a million times kind of make the same kind of arguments. And unfortunately, you know, they just, well, fortunately for our clients, but unfortunately for him, they don't work. So the big mick and the big mac, not different enough. I would say definitely not, especially well, so, when you and, put it all and, together. And, and like you said, they, they actually now can can enforce. You can't have Mick anything, right? Because right. that, that's a that's at, at this point sort of that's too closely associated with McDonald's. That's interesting. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it would depend on what it is. But due to the fame of the McDonald's mm. mark and, again, all the t- time and money they put into advertising, I think they would have a strong case against anyone using Mick, especially in connection with food or restaurants. So- I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said that the company that feels they're being infringed would probably go and do an investigation where they take pictures and and see what's going on. In your personal line of work, have you ever had to, as a lawyer, go to the infringer and take pictures and investigate personally? Or do you, you're so high up in the organization with Gibney that you just, you just send the paparazzi to do that for you? Well, usually a lawyer wouldn't be conducting the investigation because, you know, you're going to need a licensed investigator to visit and then be able to sign an affidavit for you. And you're probably going to want them to appear on the stand. As a lawyer, you don't want to be a witness. But I will say during my line of work, I've had the pleasure of conducting seizures on Canal Street. So I've gone out with U.S. Marshals, served a seizure order and seen some definitely interesting things on Canal Street, including secret rooms and all kinds of crazy things. So that that was fun because I feel like that was like me being, you know, in action versus at my desk. And, and for all the listeners, yeah, for all the listeners out there, Canal Street is in Manhattan and it's in downtown Manhattan. And it's a really, really long street, very wide. And there's a ton <laughs> of people selling fake bags, fake watches, fake mm-hmm. everything. Fake there everything, there yeah. are some there are some legitimate businesses there, but there's a lot of fake stuff on Canal Street. 
And what's so fun about it is like if you show up on Canal Street and usually we show up with U.S. Marshals. So, you know, they come out with their, you know, bulletproof vests and their guns and, you know, because they, you know, need to like to protect the scene and serve the seizure order. And so everybody's staring and then you're going to see all the storefronts. Everybody's just shutting down their stores and everybody's taking my picture to warn that, to warn all the other sellers. Hey, if you see this woman, like you better run. So. Oh, wow. So you're, you're a persona non grata down on Canal Street. Oh, huh? for sure. I think my picture's hanging in a few spots. So. Wow. Um, Look at that. Well, the next time I'm on Canal Street, judging people for buying fake Gucci bags, I'm going to <laughs> see if they have a picture of you. Do not yeah, sell this woman. A- Go take a peek. So my, you're like some sort of like like IP enforcement superhero, like a, like an action star. That's how I refer to myself to my friends and family. But <laughs> yes, you're, you're, <laughs> that is public information. Now. That's what your business card should say. <laughs> um, so I had one more question, Mayad. Um, so in in there's a scene in the movie where we see Cleo actually reading a McDonald's operations handbook, and it occurred to me, I wonder if he maybe used to be a McDonald's employee at one point, and then you know, broke away and opened up this own restaurant on his own. So first of all, I mean, just curious, how did he get that? You know, I'm very curious about how he got the handbook, but would it change anything if he had previously been a McDonald's employee? Does that maybe aggravate the situation? Does that, is that relevant or, you know, did he steal, is it relevant that he stole the handbook or, or anything like that? Oh, for sure. I think that any company that has trade secrets and has an operations manual like McDonald's, you know, one very important thing that they would have to do is they would have to make sure that it's marked confidential. And you definitely want to have your employees sign non-disclosure agreements or something acknowledging that the information within this handbook is in fact confidential. And as the plaintiff, if you were going to sue somebody for taking those trade secrets, you would have to show that you took measures to train your employees and and tell them like you cannot share this information and the fact that he walked away with it would definitely get him in trouble and would definitely make your case stronger against him and especially if he was a former employee because then it would be a breach of that agreement and i'm sure that the whatever he signed would say what would happen if you breached it aka you have to give it back and you have to tell us what you did he definitely (laughs) knows he definitely knows that it's not right for him to have that book because when he's reading it in his office when somebody <laughs> comes into the office he closes it right away and hides it so so i don't know if he stole it or if he used to work for mcdonald's but something cleo something's going on with cleo over there yeah no i know i like cleo he's a fun character and um, i feel like it's it's close to my real life so it made it even more fun yeah i mean we all have to make a living right <laughs> for sure maya you were telling us before we started recording that in real life, you had a story about a pop-up McDowell's in Los Angeles that actually has gotten into some trouble. So this is kind of a real-life version of what happened in the movie, maybe? Yeah, you know what's so... I mean, I don't know if you watched the sequel, but there was a sequel. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I watched it. (laughs) It sure did. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we pretend it didn't happen. I know it's hard to talk about. But um, (laughs) there was a company that decided to do a pop up McDowell's. And so they created, you know, a a fake restaurant and they were promoting it online and on social media and everything. And I guess it caught the attention of Paramount and they sent a letter to this pop-up, just the owners of the pop-up being like, you know, you can't do this. This is our copyrighted material. And they continued to, you know, conduct business at this pop-up. I think they might've even opened a second one. So they sent another letter saying, you know, you got to stop. This creates a false association with our movie and also you're using our copyrighted materials. Anyway, long story short, 
And just last August, they brought a claim before the copyright board against the owners of this pop-up based on their copyright registrations for the movie. So wow. it's kind of interesting that a movie that's created wow. in the 1980s is, you know, the still hot legally. You know what I mean? So, so wow, yeah. McDowell's causing fictitious legal problems and real world fictitious real, real world. world. Look at this. Problems. We hit man with this movie. Yeah. yeah. Wow. This is this was very enlightening. I learned a lot about um, what I can and cannot do when I opened my fast food restaurant. Because <laughs> I don't. My I used to work at a Burger King uh, when I was in high school. I worked at a Burger King, and I learned a lot of trade secrets about how to properly put the mayo and the ketchup on the on the hamburgers. So when I open my fast food restaurant, I'll be sure not to take any of those um, uh, secrets with me. That's good. Um... Why, now, why Burger King? I mean, well, the McDonald's. Well, much better burgers. Burger King was the Whopper. Well, oh, well, Maya, we love Burger King. We love Wendy's. We love McDonald's. We love all of you. Everybody. Sure. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah. Any. It, we're a friend of. We're a friend of all. Friend of all the fast food. Yeah. We're a friend to any potential advertiser. But have you had yeah. Shake Shack? I mean. Oh, who hasn't? Sure. <laughs> or sure. wait, what do you like better on the West Coast? You know, In and Out Burger is. Um, I'm gonna get into trouble for saying this but in and out burger is overrated and shake shack <gasps> shake shack is better yeah i would agree Sh- shake how, Shack's... About, how about fat burger out there haven't had fat burger yet oh, okay I haven't had fat burger yet um but maya before we let you go i wanted to ask you overall takes from coming to america what's some of your hot takes what do you love about it what do you not like about it give us the good stuff I don't know. Like, there's. I mean, I guess my favorite part is when he gets to Queens, right? And he's Prince Sakim. <laughs> when Prince Sakim, yeah, gets to Queens, and he's just like yelling to every. Everybody's cursing at him, and then I don't know. <laughs> and then I love the part when he like, yeah, when he and you know kisses the girl, and he's heading home, and he's singing, and all he's just so happy. Cursing, and he's yeah. so happy. Like, he's so happy, and everyone's cursing him out. <laughs> whether yeah. whether he's living in a tenement or he's falling in love. He's just always so happy. He has this this expression on his face that that a little child has when they see somebody for the first time, see something new for the first time. I love it. Which is great. And to see that like in New York, in Queens, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Everyone's so angry. Um, what's... He's just so happy. He's so happy. And um, I just like love that part of the movie just because I feel like it's so accurate to that New York attitude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maya, I'm originally from Queens. So the movie has a special place in my heart. And I know that you have a, a Queens story, right? <laughs> well, I met my king in Queens. Look at that. So. Look at that. That's um... really cute. <laughs> My husband's very from cute. Queens, born and raised, so he also loves the movie very much. So I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear this episode um, and get that shout out. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Maya, we really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Uh, yeah, this was great. You, thank you for enlightening us about areas outside of immigration law. Um, I'm sure your business is going to uh, go through the roof now after all the ten- <laughs> after all the tens of listeners who listen to this oh. podcast listen to this segment. <laughs> I know. I feel like this is it. This is gonna. This is the career maker for me. Well, all seventeen. Yeah. All seventeen of our <laughs> listeners are going to be calling you after this uh, episode. Great. Um, yeah. Well, hope you continue to listen. We're going to call on you if we ever have a situation like this again. Yeah. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Yeah. First right. of many visits. We hope. Thank all right. Thank you Great. Much. Thanks, Maya. Bye, guys. Thanks, Maya. Well, that was really, really educational, wouldn't you say, Rod? That was fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Maya, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to, come, to come talk to us on our, our little endeavor here. So we hope to have you back yeah. in the future. Thanks, Maya. That was great. Let's stick with uh, McDowell's because um, 
Clio and his company, they have some issues. Let's do a consultation with Clio regarding the employment options that he had for Akeem. So we've concluded that Akeem had a B2 tourist visa, but in the movie, Akeem gets a job working at McDowell's. We know now that B2 tourists cannot legally work in the U.S. This means that Cleo McDowell had more than just copyright and trademark issues. He was employing a B2 tourist illegally. Mm -hmm. Now, Rod, as immigration lawyers, we not only represent the foreign nationals themselves, but we often represent corporations and employers who are looking to employ foreign nationals in the U.S., so let's pretend that we were the immigration counsel for Cleo and his company, McDowell's. Cleo comes to us and says that he has a candidate for hire. This candidate is not a U.S. citizen. This candidate is not a green card holder. How would we counsel Cleo to ensure he was able to legally employ such a candidate? Well, I think we'd start by explaining to him that every U.S. employer, when hiring a new employee, has to complete a form called Form I-9, which is the Employment Eligibility Verification. Uh, the point of the form is to ensure that all employees uh, in the U.S. are legally authorized to work. In the and, and this Form I-9, what exactly does it consist of? What kind of information is, is required for this Form I-9? So it's broken up into a few different sections. Section 1 has to be completed by the new employee on or before the start date of the employment. And there's some basic questions about the immigration status of the employee in this section. Section two has to be completed by the employer within three days of the new employee's start date. When completing section two, the employer has to review the employee's documents to verify that the individual is in fact authorized to work in the United States. So overall, I think there are specific types of documents basically that could be presented by the employee to the employer to prove that he or she is authorized to work in the U.S. That's right. So Cleo comes to us, Mr. McDowell, and he tells us about Akeem and asks us if he can employ Akeem legally. What do we say to Cleo McDowell? We say no. Akeem is a B-2 tourist and, you know, sorry, Cleo, but you cannot legally employ him. You know, the Form I-9 can't be uh, legally completed uh, for Akeem. What if he says, oh, but it's just for a few weeks. It's not a big deal. You guys understand, right? What would you say to that? No. So, I mean, employers, no. I mean, no. It's, <laughs> it's short term, long term, no. And indeed, you know, there are a series of, uh, of penalties and, 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 and that can attach, you know, I mean. Yeah, so, so what happens to employers who violate the law? So employers who either fill out Form I-9 dishonestly or have employees working for them with no I-9 when no I-9 was completed, what, what can happen to such employers? So there are civil violations, penalties, financial penalties. There are also criminal violations for failure to properly comply. But the criminal violations generally come into play if a company engages in a, a pattern or practice of hiring and recruiting unauthorized foreign nationals. So there are some stiff penalties available for people who buck the law in this in regard. So we learned earlier in our episode that Cleo didn't really care about the fact that he was just ripping off McDonald's. So that's that's one right. strike, right? That's one strike. One then, strike. then we learned that um, Cleo hired Akeem, even though Akeem didn't have proper work authorization documentation, right? That's that's another strike. It's another strike. It, it seems like Cleo kind of plays <laughs> fast and loose. So, you know, he's not uh, he's not too concerned with the law and how it applies to him. Cleo just does what he wants. Yeah. 
Well, I would have definitely gone to McDowell's if it was a restaurant during that time period. Uh, it looked like it was a lot of fun. I wouldn't want to be there when Samuel L. Jackson's character was robbing it. But, sure. uh, but don't want to yeah, be there. No, don't want to be there. But it looked like a, a fun place to, to grab a, a burger. Why, why not? Why not? Yeah, Louis Anderson washing your lettuce. What, what could be better Louis than that? Washing lettuce. Hey, soon he'll be on fries. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, those are the immigration issues and the, uh, the you know, trademark and IP issues with coming to America. But now let's move forward and, you know, just some overall takeaways from the movie. So, Rod, this movie has a, an abundance of amazing quotes. Uh, you and I, we've we've been known to to share these quotes. I was just wondering, what are some of your favorite quotes from the movie? Because I have a few that I wanted to share with you. So you want to share some of your favorite quotes? So many of my favorite quotes from this movie cannot, you know, we're, we're generally a clean podcast. So some of my favorite quotes, some, some of my favorite, I cannot repeat on this podcast. But I, I will say, um, I will say that Reverend Brown, when he <laughs> gives the intro to Mr. Randy Watson, is sure. Maybe is I love. I mean, Reverend Brown's whole speech, and just the way that you know you might recognize him as Joe the policeman from the What's Going Down episode of that drama. <laughs> you know, just uh, the that whole that whole scene is fantastic. And I think any line coming out of the barbershop, I think is is the you know that stuff. Those those are that's that's gold. Well, I I've done my my homework here, and I'm actually going to give you the quotes. So, right. so you were beating around the bush, just talking about beating around the bush. general, yeah. general things that were funny to you. But here, here are some, here are some of my favorite quotes. Ready? Um, All right. There is a fine line between love and nausea. That's, and, uh, yeah. that's, that's King Jaffe Jofer. King Jaffe Jofer. Yeah. Um, another one from King Jaffe Jofer. I've tied my own shoes once. It's an overrated experience. That's a great line. And, and this was definitely one of my favorite lines when Akeem and Semi were deciding where in America to travel? Uh, Semi says, the land is so big. The choices are infinite. Where should we go? Los Angeles or New York? I just, yeah. I, I found that, that quote to be so amazing because at the end of the day, and I, sorry to all the listeners out there, it really is just about New York and Los Angeles, isn't it? When it comes to America. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it, it never, it's, that line never struck me as funny as a little kid watching the movie. Right, I first right. saw the movie, I was probably about, nine, 10 years old, uh, maybe 11. And it, it didn't occur to me that that was like a fun, that was, that, that was like a bizarre take, right? The land is so big, <laughs> where do we go? And then just pick the two most recognizable, you know, oh, well, there's, clearly there's only two logical places we could possibly go. And, um, and as a New Yorker who now lives in Los Angeles, yes. Sure. So, yes. Yes. This, yes. This, this movie's written for you. Man, I'm you from know? Queens. I live in Los Angeles. It's for me. <laughs> um, Fantastic. And there's one last line actually from King Joffy Jofer, which oh, please. is the title of today's episode, which is a bombastic, my son works. He was so just surprised, horrified, angered, angered yeah. horrified that his son, the prince would actually work. Actually, work. Yeah. Okay. Of all the other things, of all the other shenanigans they were up to, that was what offended him the most. One of the most offensive. Yeah, that is fantastic. Is this movie a rom com? You know, we were we were doing a whole rom com series, and by series we mean two episodes about about rom coms. And then I was I was watching this movie, and I was reading um, some of the synopsises, and a lot of websites, if you will, they refer to this as a rom com. I could see that. But I also feel like this just goes a little bit above and beyond a rom-com. What, what do you say about that, Rod? 
So I think it's a fantastic question, and I feel like I had never thought of it. I've never thought of this movie as a rom-com, but I think you know the, the movie does follow Akeem and Lisa's relationship a little bit. Right. I don't find... I think the movie... I don't consider it to be a classic rom-com, but I think it's definitely got a lot of rom-com elements, and it's very much informed by the rom-com formula, I think. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it's it's definitely injected in here. Like, it's interesting um, that you and I never thought about this when we were thinking about rom-coms, and I feel like a lot of people don't, but you could make the argument it is a rom-com. You could. I think you could. I think you definitely you could. could make the argument. To, to me, I think the movie is concentrating more broadly than their than their specific relationship. Of course. But, but, I mean, their relationship is absolutely central to the film. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think you'd easily argue that it's a rom-com. Sure, sure. Now, here's a question that I have, and this goes back to something you were talking about before. Why didn't Akeem and Semi check out the rest of New York, right? They, they, could have li- they could have lived in Queens. They could have worked in Queens. They could have looked only in Queens to go for their dates. But you go to New York City for the first time. As lovely as Queens is, it's not Manhattan. And Manhattan is basically the center of where everything is in, in, in New York, as far as business and as far as, you know, entertainment and things like that are concerned. Sure. Why didn't it's, they go even in the eighties? Where all the tourists? Yeah, it's it's where all the tourists want to go, right? Yeah. I mean, and and at that time, when in many ways now, but maybe less so now, but certainly I think I feel like in the late eighties, when anyone from outside New York thought about New York City, yeah. they thought about they thought about Manhattan and probably Manhattan only. And um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. They 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 never go. The only time we see Manhattan is the Waldorf Astoria when King Joffe Jofer, who, you know, obviously would never be caught dead anywhere else. In the <laughs> city. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this while we were, while we were going over, uh, you know, going, thinking about this movie and sort of breaking and talking about different ideas about it. This question came up and it, it occurs to me that, uh, that uh, Kevin McAllister saw more of New York City in one half day. Uh, we touched on that in our first episode. Um, in Home Alone too. In Home Alone, too, yes. he saw more. He saw more of New York City in a half a day than than these guys saw in their throughout the whole course of their stay. That is a great point, Kevin McAllister, ten year old boy, saw more, more of New York in in a morning than they than they cared to see in their. Than they cared to see. Who knows how long now, they were there for? You one could argue, I suppose, that that the whole point of this was to come to the United States and live a poor existence, live a meager existence. And so, you know, maybe they didn't have the time or luxury or, or, or ability to get around in New York and be, and be tourists and sightseers, you know, possibly maybe there's, there's a larger, there's a larger class commentary at play. Interesting. Interesting take. And, and speaking of Manhattan versus Queens, how did the King and his staff and then Akeem and Semi travel back and forth between the Waldorf Astoria and Midtown Manhattan and Jamaica Estates in Queens, where Cleo McDowell lived, so quickly. So I, I checked this on Google Maps. Google Maps says it's a 12.9-mile drive from the Waldorf Astoria to Jamaica Estates in Queens, where Cleo McDowell lived. But it seemed like it was like a 10-minute drive at most in the movie, because they were just going sure. back and forth and missing each other. Yeah. yeah, That's some movie magic happening. And a 12.9-mile drive through New York City traffic is very different than a 12.9 mile drive in many other places. Yeah, so, I, I this is going to take at least at least I would say 45 minutes. I, at least. At, at least. And, that's and then that's, in, yeah. In traffic it's even probably it could potentially be longer than that. I mean it, yeah, it it is there's a lot of back and forth happening in a very short period of time that is but it's just it's, not doable. It's the movies, the movies, you know. It's the movies, it's the movies and the, you know you got to you, you got to It's magic. It's like Santa Claus, it's magic, right? It's, it's just magic. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> Finally, I believe it was last year, there was a sequel to this movie that was made. It's called Coming to America. The two is the number two. There was a lot of hype. We both saw it when it came out. And um, it wasn't very good, was it? I'll say this. We mentioned this and we, were, we, we talked about whether we should cover and address Coming to America, the sequel in, the, in this episode. And I can barely remember seeing that movie. So I, may, <laughs> I remember there was, there, there's, there's strange, there's like a general in it and he's got kids that he didn't know about. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And I just, I don't remember the movie very well. I remember little snippets. I owe it probably another viewing, but I barely remember it at all. I remember you, being you, disappointed. You don't, owe it, you, you don't owe it another viewing. I saw it once. <laughs> I saw it once. I don't have to see it again. Didn't, I was disappointed. Not was necessary. Disappointed. Not necessary. Yeah. I feel like there's it a... Certainly does, it does not stand up to the original. No, there's, there's so many good screenwriters in the entertainment industry this was the best they could come yeah. up with I, I was disappointed but but i don't want to end this on a on a on a, on yeah, a down note it, uh, because coming to but, america yeah. the original is definitely a classic comedy anyone who is, is listening to this podcast if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time please rewatch it it's just it'll bring joy to your life it's just so much fun it's a it's a great. really great Fantastic. story yeah. um you characters that you could brute for love it mm-hmm. i agree and, and that's coming to America. I hope we did it justice because this is one of our favorites of all time. So if you have not done so already, and you know, after this episode, I'm sure you're going to want to, please subscribe to the podcast. And, and, and after this episode, I'm sure you're going to want to rate us really, really highly. So Rod, once again, in case anybody was falling asleep in the beginning of the episode, where can you uh, find us as far as streaming platforms are concerned? So we can be found on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, TuneIn, and etc. And if you want to drop us a comment, tell us something, complain to us, whatever, we have an email address and we prefer to get our comments via email. So Rod, where can the viewer, the listeners, I'm just thinking about being on a TV show with you one day, so I keep saying viewers, but where can the listeners send their comments? Sure. Those can go to Asta La Visa, H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at Gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y dot com. Yeah. If you have any issues with our takes, let us know. Let us know. So yeah, please do. Please do. Next week. No, not next week. Next month. <laughs> next week. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Next that's month. a lot of pressure. Next month, we're going to be focusing on a, a musical, a musical movie if you will. And uh, the name of that movie is called Grease. Yes. Grease. Grease. So uh, if, if anyone out there is what, what, who is a foreign national character in Greece? Maybe the, in. Lead, the lead actress named Sandy, who was Australian, yeah. who was Danny Zuko's girlfriend, maybe her. So uh, let's talk about Sandy from Greece next month and talk about what kind of visa she had. How do you, how do you, how do you feel about that? I know you love musicals, right? How do you feel about that? I care about musicals. I like musicals. I have actually never seen Grease. I think I saw a snippet of it when I was in high school, but I've never seen the movie beginning to end. So this is exciting for me. It's too mainstream for you. You're a big hipster. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm looking forward to talking about it. I'm looking forward to digging into some of the uh, exciting immigration issues that the film presents. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about the music. Let's talk about the characters. I can't wait to do it. This was fun. We finally did Coming to America. We're ready for anything now. Rod. That's right. Until next time. Hasta la vista, baby.